ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. That's kind of a weird thing, right? Like that that's your gig where you want to go stay in some in some house where some show is filmed. That, that, you know, <laughs> if people get way into it, man, they like it's crazy. What irritates me the most is is I drink that bullet orange label whiskey uh, and they had like one scene where Kevin Costner poured a glass of that same exact whiskey and now I can't find it anywhere because people right? are such sheep <laughs> anything Hollywood does they're they're uh, their heroes on Hollywood do it man they go burn it down and and uh, they, they bought it all like literally everywhere you can't find it anywhere that shit's weird to me man you know what's funny to me and and I've been kind of poking at people a little bit is when I see folks quote the character of the show. So they'll post something or yeah. something and they'll have a quote and it's like, Hey, you know that that motherfucker really, that's not a real person. <laughs> they got that quote from somewhere else. Somebody wrote that. Yeah. And, I know. The, and those writers, I know, man, it gets weird. Get it, scratched it, redid it. You know, you have writers mm-hmm. that try to make, <laughs> make you sound real good, you know? Well, that, you know, it's funny. I was yeah. listening to uh, Uncle, Uncle Ted Nugent there on, I think he was on Rogan. And he was saying, oh, yeah, they, they use my quote and they paraphrase it. I'm like, shit, he's even claiming that quote. And I heard that years ago where he's talking about, you know, tilling the soil and, and killing being a vegan or whatever. Um, and that quote has been around for eons, man. And it's funny. Yeah, it's and, been around a while. Yeah. And, I, you know, I see people quoting that and uh, there's a bunch of them. 
you know, it'll be like some, some, something Beth Dutton. And I'm like, son of a bitch, man. Really? Is that where we're at? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can, you know, the thing is, is if you say it once, it's a possibility. If you say it twice, hmm, maybe so. If you say it three times, it's gospel. So, you know, all you got to yeah, do is say, much. I said that then, I said this then or nothing. And I said that, oh, he said three times he said it. He must have said it. Yeah. Are we recording already? Damn straight. You know, I don't try to miss anything, man. Jeez, Especially man, when you the, just record everything. When the three We're of us here get on. About some show on t- TV for an hour. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't get all of it. I got some of it though. I started, uh, uh but Jim, man, your video of your snow at that place yesterday was lit. That was, man, yeah, you get uh, pounded. You are getting pounded. Dude, you should, you should see it, man. We were legitimately stuck. I had like an avalanche come down on the driveway. I'll text you guys a picture. I, I was trying to dig out with the tractor this morning. And I come around the corner on the driveway and like, there's this eight foot high wall of snow. And so we're stuck up here. I'm trying to find, I got a buddy that's up here and get us out. Yeah. That's quite the advantage. So, so how, right. That was a, that was a a heck of a decision to say, you know what? I got to get as far away from this, this madness as I can. What, uh, What's your thought on it this early on? Bad time to do it. Great time to do it. Well, I mean, it's just, it's circumstantial. We, we had, we, when we we moved out here in June, right. And we had the, one of the hottest record setting summers in North Idaho history. Like we, we got to up to like 110 and, and North Idaho never goes above a hundred. Like hardly ever do you see temps above a high, usually in the high eighties during the summer. And so we get through that without a, without any water on the property. We deal with that hauling water, sitting in the shade, trying to go down on the river, cool off and everything's fine. Get the well in. And now we're having uh, this, the last record snowfall was in 1971 and we beat it by like eight inches yesterday. And so we've never seen snow like this. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. The amount of snow that came down in the last 24 hours is absolutely bananas. And I got to give a shout out to that Cabela's a lock neck wall tent, man. It is (laughs) other than the one side kind of caved in that son of a gun is holding. I'm blown away. So, uh, it's just nuts, man. I, I just hope it stops snowing. I can't handle yeah, it anymore. That was the first thing I looked at, man, was when he, when he was talking about the snows and he was showing pictures, I looked over at that wall tent and I was like, yeah, that thing's gotta be stretching at the seams and it's still hanging. That's good. It is. It is. The, the key is just getting the snow off the roof and keeping it. And I keep it heated all the time. Right. And so that way it's as the snow's flying, unless it's coming down really bad, it, it just kind of melts it. But what the problem is now it's so built up on the sides, it's got nowhere to slide off the roof. So I've got to hand dig that out. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a bugger. It's a, bu- I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I don't regret doing this, but it is a lot of work. And, and I kind of wish it wasn't so much work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, you know, my wife is enamored by like, you know, the, the Alaska shows and she's like, wow. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that on the surface, that looks great. But if you look at the amount of work them folks have to put in, I ain't cut out for it. <laughs> it's just, it's nonstop. 
their work is that that's it. That's their job, man. I mean, they're, yeah. they're surviving. Yeah. They're taking care of stuff like that. But I, you know, I know that inside that tent, there's like TV couches and everything like yeah. that. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I went in power too. That's, that's where our TV is our, our big one at least. And uh, you know, <laughs> we've got like this patio furniture in there. <laughs> you gotta save the <laughs> That's where our Christmas tree was, man. We had Christmas in there, and everything. So That's we sleep awesome. in the in the RV, and the tent's just kind of the hangout spot. But I'm building a I'm building a small cabin or something for next winter because uh, I'm not doing this again with a tent. <laughs> so what's what's the ultimate plan? Are you guys going to do like a barn dominium? Or are you just going to build build a yeah, we're gonna house have, straight up? Yeah, we'll have we'll have an actual house built. Uh, it's just looking like it's not going to happen until like 2023 because all the, uh, all you Californians have come over to Idaho and, and, uh, we're, the builders are all booked out that far. So I, I've got nobody available to, and I was talking to him back in June. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's going to be a while. We're on, we're on some lists for a couple of different GCs and, and I'm hoping, hoping one of them frees up and they can come out and build. But if not, I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to build me a little like 15 by 25 foot cabin and I'll just do it myself over the summer. Uh, and that'll, that'll just keep it from, uh, just all the headache that this, this year's been, this winter's just been hell of a ride, man. And, <laughs> and I mean, you've only been in that, what, three weeks and that, it just in the three weeks, the weather seems like it's just whomped you. Because the last time we talked, you know, the, the episode that we're going to talk to, uh, talk about, that's when you first got the hit, right? When you're telling us the first three foot. That's only been a couple, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was weird. We didn't have, I mean, we had a couple of skiffs of snow here and there, you know, uh, maybe six inches at one time, but, um, we didn't hardly have any snow that first week of December. And then that storm hit and, and it, we've been just absolutely buried ever since. I bet you know where to find the elk. <laughs> he can't see him. Yeah, he got an eight foot wall of snow blocking his view. <laughs> there's like, there's like 60 of them hanging about a hundred yards from the fifth wheel right now. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I'm worried about, uh, I'm worried about some of the calves and all the, all the fawns making it through this winter. It's, it's a rough one. It's a bad one. Yeah. We're going to have, we're going to have some crazy winter kill this year. Yeah. You're going to lose some old bulls, some old cows. Yeah. It's going to be a, yep. some, and if they're not strong calves, you know, that, you know, people, that's what, uh, that kind of preaches to what we try to tell people why cow elk are looking for those biggest, strongest bulls that, that, that age class that they want to breed with, because they're looking for somebody to sire a strong calf that can survive the winter, man. So. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's same with the deer. I don't, I don't worry nearly as much about the elk as I do the deer, the mule deer and the whitetail. They, they just get wiped out when we, when we get snow like this, mm. uh, we can complain about hunting numbers and wolves and predation all we want, but it's, it's this, it's snowfall like this. that takes a toll on it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have the chronic wasting? Yeah, we had, we had like our first case this year. Uh, it was just found down in central. In fact, near, I don't want to say the unit actually, uh, but we we talked about that unit last night in that text message stream. So you can kind of guess that you know that's where that's where they found it. Uh, yeah. Was was down in that neck of the woods in a mule deer. So I think they found like three of them total or something. I'm not totally sure. I can't remember. So there's something else that I saw. And I don't know if you guys have heard about it. And I'm and I'm sorry if I'm jumping down a hole here, 
guy, but uh, talking about the chronic <clears throat> wasting, I've seen a couple of posts of elk, of several elk in Wyo that um, are getting some kind of parasite that's in the meat. Uh, it, it looks like, um, I mean, you go to cut into it and there's a lot of white parasites inside the meat where guys have killed these and, and gone to cut it open and cut the meat open. And it was just horrible what was going on. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah I've seen that. a couple of pictures of that. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. I saw it the other day and, and I was blown away because um, it's, it's not where it's just isolated to one or two guys. There's, there's people that have been getting it, you know, getting animals like that yeah. area. So, you know, when you, when you talk about like snows like this, um, how it affects those animals, you even wonder if those animals that are weakened by these parasites, by the chronic and stuff like that, if, you know, mother nature doesn't do its part to help solve some of that problem. It very well could. I've thought about that too, but I know that like CWD will live in the ground. I don't think, I don't think the freeze diet kills it off. Does it? I don't, I have no idea because it goes from, it goes from animal to animal, right? Yeah, but they can, they could get it by, um, yeah, same I want to look that up. Same feed sources. Uh, yeah. 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 And things like that. So I'm looking at this, right. And, and, uh, and I can't, I mean, this is just me throwing it in there, right. And there's one post that says tapeworm, tapeworm larva, uh, in the meat. But the first thing that came up was, uh, trichinosis. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't, it, it was, uh, I, I'll, I'll do some research as, as we're going to come up with that man. But, uh, um, <laughs> Trichinosis, isn't that what the buffalo carry? The uh, the bison come out of the, the park with and pig, affect the bear, cattle? Bears even. Bears even. Pigs. Can, yeah. Bears. I don't see any. Let me see. Uh, let me talk, I, I got this thing wide open, so. Here, I think we have it here. Sarcosis. Yeah, that's right. I That's misspeaking. It's not trichinosis that the bison carry down in. United States, a biotype of echinococcus. <laughs> Granulolosis has been found in several states, including Wyoming. Only a few cases have been documented in Wyoming in uh, elk, moose, and one mule deer. So it's, uh, and I, I think I'm saying that right, Echin or Echin no cocus tapeworm. So it's a type of tapeworm. Sarcositosis, elk and you. So that's another one. That's and and the picture I'm actually looking at is off of. Uh, of course, it's Eastman's. Eastman's is great. Um, and there's a picture of uh, some elk meat with that, with that larva and that striations in it. And then 2020 year was a year. Yeah, six elk points. Yeah. So he's talking specifically. Uh, Scott Salmon in this article is talking about specifically his points in Wyo and without reading this, but it's a uh, sarcosis or something like that. Yeah, right? that's, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it makes the meat look like it's got these white marbles in it, but it's a parasite. Yeah. Sarco, so. wait, mm. sarcocytosis. That's how you say it. <laughs> I had okay. to look at it for a second there. So sarcocytosis elk and you. So if you look at uh, Eastman's, uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal, the blog. There's an article here by uh, a guest Scott author. Salmon. Yeah, Scott Salmon. Then he talks about it. Right. Um, it's 2021. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a recent article here. 
but you know those are those are this things. Is saying, the, sorry, buddy. Those are the things that, uh, as they become more prevalent, we should be aware of. Man, I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot. I mean, listen, listen to our naivety as we get into that. Just from that question, right? I mean, that's that's yeah, yeah. Seriously, health issues. <laughs> this article, I don't, I don't. I don't know if I trust this source, but it, it says that freezing does absolutely nothing to a prion disease like CWD. Uh, and they could sur- and it survives the temperatures that would be involved in cooking the meat as well. So I guess it makes sense. If you can't cook it out, it'll, it'll survive the freezing too. So what do you guys hmm. think about that? You know, when you start talking about the prions and stuff and right away, it's, it's been, you know, that, that brain matter and the spinal, uh, the spinal cord and whatnot. Uh-huh. Do you guys have any concerns with the meat when it comes to that, those prion diseases? You know, I, I haven't had to really, I think if we were to have something where it was prevalent in our area, I'd probably think more about it. I know like in some areas of Colorado, they've had some you know, issues with that, but we've never been in an area. In fact, we weren't in an area this year in Colorado where we had to worry about the, the CWD. So, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I think I would actually take a, a real good look at it before I thought, you know, um, I think as long as you don't get into that spinal fluid and brain matter and stuff like that, I think, you know, you're probably going to be okay. I don't, I don't see where that would affect it, but you know, it's, I mean, uh, it, there's going to be a point, right, where where it gets so prevalent that it's going to be in, in my opinion, the majority, you know, of our areas. I don't, you know, I don't care where you're at. If you, you know, Wyoming's kind of the hotbed, I believe, if I remember correctly, Wyoming is kind of the the place that kicked that off. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. At least the first recorded cases of it, uh, and that's grown, you know, pretty good. I mean, now you're, you know, Colorado is call it half the state maybe um you know it's stretching into utah you know that that eastern edge of utah going all the way down to the south border so now we're tiptoeing into new mexico at the four corners right new mexico and arizona and i mean it's just gonna keep moving arizona well right now arizona's not not showing any new mexico has it though there's new mexico texas so that uh, sort of central New Mexico down to southern New Mexico into that little, you know, tip of Texas that it touches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, we all, you know, because I'm a country boy, we ate a lot of rabbits and we always had things about how we had whenever we were gutting a rabbit, we had to check the liver to see if it had spots on the liver and things like that. There were things you had to check for. And you just get taught. I mean, it was something as a kid that I thought was just something normal. So um, the, the thing that was hard out of that YO article that I read was this guy opens up this animal and the the meat is littered with this parasite and they're not wanting to eat this. And so, but, you know, you got to tag the animal. I mean, there's a whole thing that comes with that. Um, you know, they talked to the game warden, game warden wanted them to, you know, take the meat, you know, out of there. I can see where you would want that because I mean, you're taking the parasite out of the area, but where are you taking the parasite if you're going to get rid of the meat and if you're not going to eat the meat because, you know, you don't want to risk any chances like that. I mean, that's, uh, man, I, there, there needs to be some kind of procedure or some, there needs to be conversation about that, you know, cause 
uh, you know, what do you do with that that, you know, doesn't affect us in another way? You know, you don't know where that person gets rid of that meat. Um, is it better yeah. for it to be out in nature? Does, should it be buried? You know, this guy has to punch his tag. He's not going to eat the meat. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a big conversation. I mean, when you have a diseased animal like that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the last paragraph of this thing or the last two, it says after 17 hours, many phone calls and research in the parasite, we both decided to discard the elk meat. So two of them, uh, yep, we knew right. that there was a chance it could affect our families, especially mm -hmm. with how prevalent the parasite was in our meat. Uh, I know I don't like, uh, my elk cook well done. Who does? Uh, other than in burger form, even then I don't. Uh, this decision weighed heavy on our minds and still does today. We don't like to waste and enjoy the meat from our hunts. It's definitely why we hunt. We want to provide for our families. Brian and, Bo Brian and I both want to educate the hunting community and make them aware of this parasite. We also hope that, and this is another one that's interesting, um, for all the Department of Fish and Wildlife or you know, Fish and Game, um, Wyoming might consider giving tags and or points back to other hunters who suffer the same fate. So that's an right. interesting topic. I tell you what, looking at this picture mm. that they have on top of this article, if I saw that in the meat, I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. No, there's no way you're eating it. There's no and, way. and actually, I, I think if it was me, I would, I would want those animals taken. I would want those animals disposed of. I don't know how these, um, how they transfer. I haven't done enough reading on how they transfer from one to the other, but I imagine, yeah. you know, um, you don't want that meat out there where, you know, a wild animal can feed on it and then pass it off through feces or different things like that. So yeah, I, that's, well, that's yeah, okay. So since you said that I, I pulled up, it, well, okay. Sorry. Uh -huh. This may trigger some people. <laughs> I pulled up the CDC. <laughs> There's a link for it. <laughs> There's questions about all that in this day and age. Communist. Um, and it, say, <laughs> it says, how does one become infected? The intestinal uh, type of sarco uh, cystosis, uh, people become infected when they eat the undercooked meat. So it, it can, you know, infect us. Uh, containing the parasite in the muscular type, people become infected by ingesting the form of the parasite that has been passed in animal feces. So to me, that absolutely says that it could probably be transferred in nature if a bear or a lion right. or a coyote or whatever. Right. And that, yeah. So I don't know that I'd want to leave it, but how do you dispose of it? Right. If you go to a waste site, can it be, you know, if you got birds picking out a waste site, you know, how, what do you do? You burn the hell right. out of the Absolutely. meat, you know? That's what I'm saying. I, I think instead of acting like it's not there, I think it needs to be a conversation about how to deal with that so that you can take care of that. I mean, uh, does it, you know, does it have to go in the ground? Does it have to be burned? What has to happen with that, man? Uh, so that, you know, it, it's not, it's not affecting other, not spreading as well. And and I'm even curious now that you said it, like if it, you could get it from, and I look at all those parasites in that muscle, uh, is that what would happen to a human being? And what would that effect be? You know, I mean, that's, uh, that'd be I, the EBGs. <laughs> nasty <laughs> nasty yeah yeah you you think my rear end's marbled now i don't want any of those things in there man <laughs> yeah it, so i i i think it's something that needs some education on that and you know uh it's hard to say so we're gonna we're gonna be the first ones to uh, throw the term out there sarcos man so we're just gonna say <laughs> 
those critters got sarcos. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know what it. I mean? And, and it says right here, what's the treatment currently? There is no proven treatment for either intestinal or muscular sarco. Um, and what are the effects of having that? I mean, how, how do, you know, what having that parasite and is it going to do something to your, your, I mean, is it life threatening? Is it activity threatening? I mean, there's, you know, hang man, there's no way if I'm cutting into meat and I see that, that that's going to be happening, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't really say on this page, but if anybody's listening to this, um, there's a link on the Eastman's blog. If not, go to CDC and uh, go under parasites about sarcocytes sarcocystosis excuse me um mm-hmm. and they give you a bunch about it but there's nothing that nothing really says it talks about treatment transmission and it can't be transmitted from person to person well you'd hope not right if you have to ingest it um or ingest feces mm-hmm. so yeah that's mm-hmm. uh, all right we're gonna get off of that it's gonna give me the willies dude yeah sorry i brought up a rabbit hole there no, man but i okay. thought it was really interesting <laughs> well we do run hunting podcasts so i mean it's you know it's pertinent talk. <laughs> um, good to talk about it yeah definitely yeah. i mean if we can get the information out you know what i mean if somebody sees that and you know thinks that uh there's an issue there they should probably get on that right away and that, that cuts it down for folks because i'm i'm well, boogered out when i see bot fly man you know in the in nasal passages and whatnot and uh it always gives me like that, you know, that when I get them, <laughs> my deer, oh, yeah. both my deer this year, um, they had them in their, in their nasal cavities. And yeah, dude, it always uh, wears me out. The one had shit, six or seven of them in there. Yeah. And there was some other uh, outdoor hunting news that uh, is starting to come up too. And that's about uh, OTC tags in Colorado. <laughs> I don't know if you even want to attempt that, man, but well, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I think the one thing I will say about that, and I like to talk about the trail cam stuff, but the one thing I will say about the Colorado thing is we got to be proactive. Um, they are CDW is uh, going to air basically online their their meetings on uh, January twelfth and thirteenth. Kind of an inopportune time for most of us blue collar guys. Um, mm-hmm. But it'd be good to get on there and hear that argument and listen to that and react expeditiously. So for the listeners, the listeners that don't know, what we're talking about is that um, they're looking in Colorado at taking, you know, they've already done it. And, you know, in previous years, taking over the counter uh, units and making them limited draw units. And basically, you know, they're doing that with some more. And there's, you know, there's a look at making pretty much all of those units, uh, draw units in Colorado. So that conversation is happening. They're really looking at some of these and doing that. And there, it's, there's a huge conversation about that, you know, and, and, and I don't blame the conversation. I mean, you know, because other states have gone, well, we're going to take care of uh, me and mine. And, you know, we, we get rid of OTC opportunities or we don't have OTC opportunities. And even in our draw opportunities, you know, people are talking about that 90-10, you know, and a lot of states have things like that going on. And the, the problem with that is, is that the 
the states that do have OTC, they suffer that because as you take areas and opportunities, people are going to go where there's area and opportunity. And, you know, I, I think at some point, man, because, you know, people, I hear, I hear the arguments where people are going like, yes, we need to make it all limited. We have too many outsiders coming in. We have too much of this and that, but you know, as we take away opportunity, we lose hunters. As we lose hunters, we lose voice. As we lose voice, we're going to lose legislation. We're going to lose hunting rights in a lot of places. And I, I just don't know that that's necessarily the answer. I think, I don't know that anything would ever happen, but man, you know, in my head, you need kind of a Western coalition or co- coalition of elk states where there's an agreement to provide so many capped OTC tags to, you know, to spread it a little bit out so that one state doesn't get hammered with everything all the time. And, you know, I, I, I even saw um, where some people were saying, yeah, we ought to do it like Idaho. Well, man, I, I tell you, uh, I, I feel myself that if you're going to sell OTC tags, that no OTC tag should ever be sold online. I think, you know, the easier you make it, um, there's going to be a lot of them purchased. And sometimes there's going to be some of them that aren't going to be used. They're going to be eaten. And that takes away opportunity from people that do go. Now that means you might end up going to a state and not be able, you know, they might be out, but I'm sure that, you know, and with technology today, you can actually look and find out if there are any more OTC tags available, but by keeping them in brick and mortar, you actually, you know, are now putting people into those brick and mortar buildings. So you have those, uh, those sales that are happening in those places from people going in there that aren't happening now. You know, I mean, I get to sit at my computer at home and buy a tag. I don't have to go into some vendor over there. And you know, as well as I do, man, uh, I saw somebody today, they went into the store I was at today. They said they came in for cotton balls and they ended up spending a hundred (laughs) bucks. You know, so you get those residual sales and, you know, uh, I, I think, and as you lose hunters, you lose revenue and it becomes a downhill spiral for a lot of that stuff. And, and you take like the Idaho system now, you know, in an Idaho system, you got a lot of traditional hunting camps that happen in a lot of States where families have gone and groups of guys go and, you know, with an OTC system, if you're going to use OTC going to some of these places, um, it's not possible in Idaho. I mean, one of you is going to be like you were, you were in like 1100th and people are going to be 17,000th and 21,000th. And, you know, to get a group together is basically impossible to do something like that. So you, you lose a lot of the aura, a lot of the tradition, a lot of the things that we talk about, the camaraderie that that make something like this, you know, what we do special, you know, creating those memories. So, man, well, I, with the, with the decrease and I, I'm, I, and I, I'm speaking very on the surface, right? Cause with the decrease of the over the counter tag and mm-hmm. that opportunity, there's going to be a decrease in revenue. You can't help it. Yes. Right. And, and I'm sure that's going to be backfed if you will, through a price increase on the in- available tags, right? It's sort of like right. Wyoming did when they went from the 70, 30 to the 80, 20. And now 
I'm, I think Wyoming in the next, I'm going to say two to three years, maybe four, that there'll be a 90-10 allocation, right? Because they're really, really pushing on that. And and I'm not mm-hmm. saying anything negative about it, but then that is going to be turned over to the non-residents that want to go to Wyoming. And Wyoming is already expensive. You know, if you're going, if you have a limited, limited points in Wyo and you want to go up there, it's $1,500 with the... 80-20 split with that allocation, it's $1,500 for a, a special tag. Well, the special tag was was put in, uh, I think, in part to help the lower point folks get in by by paying more money, right, which helped the revenue from the decrease of non-resident allocation. Well, then if, you, if you're going to take away, depending on how much they take away, you might see a 50% or close to a 50% increase in that Wyoming non-resident tag. And and that was one of, I forget the gentleman's name, that, that he's been really the staunch uh, proponent of making this ni- uh, switch to 90-10. And that's what he said. Well, we'll just increase the 90 or excuse me, the non-resident cost and there'll be no revenue loss. Well, if you look at most of us blue collar guys, $1,500 is painful. Can you imagine a a, a $2,200, a $2,300 elk tag? That is, and and, and maybe that's part of the plan, right? It's, it's out of reach for a lot of, a lot of blue collar guys. That's a two, three year proposition in some instances. So what happens is, is we're moving away from, you know, our model moving to a European model and becomes a pay to play system. You know, we, we, we talk about access and stuff to, to private land, but you know, that's, what's going to happen, man. Uh, if the, the people that, you know, <laughs> you got to be at a certain income level to be able to do this. And it, uh, oh. to me, it's, it's not right. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that, but I can tell you this too. You keep making it harder for non-residents to come to your state in today's, um, realm, especially with what happened with COVID and people learning how they can do jobs online and they can live in different places. Well, you make it so that non-residents are not able to hunt in your state. They are going to become residents. Take a look at Idaho. Looks, you know, they need to make a whole new congressional district now because of the infusion of the population they have. You know, people that love the ability to hunt are going to go someplace where they can do that if it's a part of their life. And, you know, they'll find jobs to where they can have a job there and they'll they'll uproot and they'll go to another place. So, you know, what you're going to look at there is, is there, there's going to be a lot of your, your system within your, your own tags of your resident tags that is going to change as much. And you're going to lose opportunity in the future as well. So, you know, um, it, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to keep people from trying to have the opportunity to hunt. They're going to find a way some way or another, if that's what's important in their life. So, so real quick, going back to this, I was I was rolling through this agenda for uh, CPW for next week, and and the agenda is lengthy. I mean, this is two days of discussion, uh, the twelfth and the thirteenth, and I mean, the, the, the first day is you know basically eight a.m. or eight thirty a.m. to five p.m., and the second day being the thirteenth is from uh, eight thirty a.m. to three p.m. And and as far as I can tell, uh, if we're talking elk, right? They're they're really looking at. Uh, 
GMU 80 and 81 for that switch, Joe, is, right. is what this is reading like. But right. they're also removing OTC antlerless hunt codes for GMU 14 and 214, um, <laughs> which is going to affect, you know, a lot of people love their cow tags, man. Um, yep. But then there's some, you know, extending of areas and then creating new boundaries for a ton of units man there's a lot of units um that that the boundaries are being changed so and this is across you know what it looks like all big game species moose pronghorn elk deer bear sheep and uh then they have their multi-species section but i think you know if if folks are hunting Colorado, okay i didn't just say that take that away because i think we're <laughs> beyond we're beyond the point where we can focus on the states we hunt. I think right. because of the oppositional forces, we need to put that down. So I apologize that I said that I caught myself and we need to support the demographic. We need to support the opportunities and we need to be a unified voice because that's the only thing that's going to keep it. I'm going to parlay that into Utah and call it, call it Hunter's foil hat, right? Arizona lost their trail cams. Now Utah has trail cams pulled. In my head, with our opposition and how our op opposition has been over the last three, four decades, I don't think that there's any accident. And, and maybe, yes, some of that is self-inflicted, but I don't think that there's any accident that that is going to start taking hold in state after state after state. They're going to look for it and they're going to push it um, because they saw a victory in Arizona with it. And there's probably some benefit to it. But what made me very curious is the fact that Utah, they banned them. They, now there's a duration of time that you can have them out, but this is not just public land, right? This is public and private. And a lot of what was used in Arizona was the conflict between people. Right. The hunter, the hunter versus hunter issue and the disruption to the animal cycles and getting to water, et cetera, et cetera. But there shouldn't be that issue on private land. So why is it going over to private land now? Or is this a, a, an equitable thing? You know what That's I mean? Not gonna, it just, it's not going to hold. But there's, there is no, that is if I have private property and I have concerns of people coming and poaching on my property, coming over my fences, coming through my access. Um, yeah. How do you how do you designate that somebody's using a the camera there for uh, hunting rather than for security? It, the enforcement. I mean, they're just setting themselves up for failure, setting themselves up for accidents. And I really don't see that. Yeah. Part holding water I'll tell i really you what do. it wouldn't hold water with it's, me if it's I not have gonna acres. it's not gonna fly my i have my family has a ranch in utah uh and and if you think that they're gonna be pulling the cameras that they have all over that ranch <laughs> just because the, the state says so you're out of your mind um it's, it's just not gonna happen um it's a it's a dumb if they're gonna do that they it's just a dumb way to go about it no um the, the way I saw it on the public land, though, was, you know, again, you know, we talked about Arizona, Arizona, there was a lot of the hunters that was like, man, this, you know, because there's only so many water holes in Arizona and every place there had 
multiple cameras, you know, whether it was on a tree or whether it was on stakes that were set up. And yeah, there were conflicts between hunters. But, you know, to me, in a lot of these places, when people are putting all these cams out, it almost is like space trash. I mean, you go out there and there's all of these cameras that are pegged to these trees. And I mean, if you're out there and, and, and you're hunting and camping or, you know, you, you don't even know if you're on camera out there on somebody else's camera. I mean, as another person that's trying to enjoy that, that's, you know, I, I think that it's just something that, you know, is gone. And look, I, I don't own one. So I, I, you know, I don't know how to, I enjoy seeing photos that people have and stuff like that. I just think that had it stayed where it wasn't so obvious, but I think that it's still, I think there's a lot of conflicts between hunters on areas on where they're at and checking cards and people are scouting or people are hunting and people are coming in checking cards and, and people are putting them in the best areas where the animals are and they go in at the most inopportune times. And, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, so there's a lot of that that actually conflicts with other public utilizing the land as well. That's the only thing. I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm not against it. I'm not saying that in either way. I'm just giving a devil's advocate of argument out there as to where some of this could have come from. Uh, Go ahead, man. It's interesting, right? We go, think about, we go ape shit crazy. So we got trail cameras, right? They're they're now, I think uh, the year prior, year, maybe two years ago at this point, COVID timeline kind of screws me all up, but Shed hunting, right? There's there was regulations on shed hunting. Maybe that was 2019, right? right? We go ape shit. It's like we can't. As much as as we say we are for the herds and for the animal and the, and we're these these conservationists, but then when it comes mm-hmm. to shit like this, we are doing everything that, in my opinion, goes against what we're hollering on the other side. And it's just like, yeah, if you're out there and, and I'm not a shed hunter and I have no problem with folks that do it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, there is a disruption if you're constantly out shed hunting and there's X, you know, hundreds of people doing this. You're taking these off the landscape for whether, you know, I I don't really get the shed hunting thing. I ain't never. You know what I mean? I've, I got, <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple little tiny sheds and they're, you know what I mean? That big or that big. And it, it's never oh, been dude, something. I- I, I just you know, don't understand the, it. I think shed hunting is more. It, it's a couple of things, especially if you're if you're a if you're a blue collar guy and uh, and and getting some of this equipment is a struggle and getting those licenses are a struggle. It's it's number one. It's a, a a way to get out in the woods and have a reason to get out there. You get that when you find mm-hmm. those drop sheds, you're finding areas. That's where bulls are dropping. That's where bulls are hanging out. You're actually getting a chance to do some scouting. You're getting exercise, and you're making some money. And, and you can make, and I know some people that have made some good money out of that. And as it gets spread around that you're making money out of, well, more people want to go out and make some money, you know? And, um, but where do we draw the line? That's my, that's my point. We got to We have to learn to draw the line, right? It's a trail cam. If I walked up and I saw a water hole and, and Joe's trail cameras there on one side and there's two trees and then Jim's trail cameras on the other side etiquette would tell my etiquette would tell me f off and find mm-hmm. another spot not let me smudge or spit on your lens mm-hmm. you know what i mean and hang mine right, right above it just it's like it's just crazy to me man it's, we, we we have to be able to control these I'd things. Moon it. huh 
I'd moon it, especially <laughs> if it were Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've got some buddies that have some that, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I just think that's where it is, man. I think I think it just gets a little bit overboard, and it's so it starts to, you know, impose on other people and what they're doing out there in that same public space. So, um, I don't know, I. It's it, it's a shame that we have to do that that we're that we're not able to like you said just take care of it ourselves. I, we don't have the problem with shed hunting in New Mexico, <clears throat> um, like I've heard in some states. Like I know in uh, some states, uh, I think Colorado has a set date. You're not able to shed hunt until that. And you know, to me, that gosh, man, you make somebody a criminal for shed hunting. You know, and and then what they yeah, do it's really hard to enforce too. But we yeah. did it ourselves. We did it ourselves. That's you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, come on, dudes are taking chalk. It's chalk. You're taking chalk off the mountain like it's a fucking trophy. Like if you want to go get out and pack, <laughs> go climb a 14er or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I've I've never really gotten into shed hunting. I took I, I took my my daughters on some private land here. Take the kids, it's beautiful. Uh, last year, but I, I've never really done it. I've just I've never really done it. So you guys are talking about things and and real passionate about two things that I don't get way into. I have a ton of trail cameras on my property. Um, I have put a couple out, out on, uh, on some areas that I all can't, um, but, uh, and, and I, I put them on my bait barrel when I'm hunting bear, which is always on public land. But other than that, I, I don't get way into truck cameras, except the ones that are on my property. In fact, since we've been sitting here, my one camera keeps texting me cause it keeps snapping pictures. I think it's snowing again and I got the <laughs> setting too sensitive. So it keeps going off like every few minutes, but. You know, that's my, that's my security camera down on my driveway. Somebody comes up the driveway. I know about it before they're, before they're here, you know, and, yeah. uh, in terms of shed hunting, I don't have any problem with people doing it as long as they're not going out too early when the deer and the elk, they're, you know, just coming out of a long, hard winter, they're already low on nutrients. They're having a rough time as it is. And you're out there pushing them around the mountain just because you want to find some antlers. And I, I think that's a problem. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm totally but but as much isn't, as I hate Tim, isn't all of the stuff that happens, isn't all of the regulation or I mean, let's let's take a look at the, the bear hunting. Let's take a look at the trapping. Let's take a look at all that. Isn't all of that happening because people have an opinion that it's not right. Just like you said, you know, yeah. that, that yeah. shouldn't happen. Right. So um, it, I, I think, you know, we can say and think that, uh, about stuff. I mean, it, it's funny. I, it, it's like a catch 22. We, we want to police and regulate ourselves. We want to make sure that we're keeping the wilderness pristine. We want to make sure we're taking care of the animals. We want to honor, uh, other people and the critters and the, and the land. So the, mm-hmm. the hard part is always is where is that boundary? And that's where, you know, you know, trying to find that happy medium, you know, somebody's always going to be pissed off about this. I know. Right. Seriously. There's no way. I mean, like when you guys are talking about the trail cams, I know some people, man, that they don't, you know, go and put things in a whole bunch of areas where everybody's at. And, you know, they really enjoy the hikes going up into the mountains. They enjoy trying to find locations and, and going in and checking their cams. They pull them, they check their cards a lot like a trapper would, you know, on their trap line and stuff like that. I mean, they're very diligent in how they do it. And, you know, they don't make it auspicious 
because they don't want people to steal their tra- trail cameras. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not our love. I don't even own one, but it might be somebody else's passion, you know? And, and yeah. And, and, and you can get passionate about trail cameras and checking sure. them oh, and, absolutely. and just a uh, man, they're, they're, a they're ball. fun. They're a they're ball fun. to have. I, I love them on my property. I get yeah. to know all the deer, all the elk, you know, everything that's, that runs across my property. I've, I can start like naming them and stuff. It's, it, it is, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but you don't even have to and, work and, anymore, man. They come to your cell phone. Exa- <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. The ones I have now, those have to be in cell service. So where I hunt elk, they, those don't work. Oh, okay. But, um, but my cell cameras, you know, they're on my property. I've got, I've got uh cell service here. So I know if there's a bear up on the mountain and, and I better not let the kids go running up there, you know, okay. mm-hmm. uh, whatever. But, and it is a passionate thing, but I like what you were talking about with everybody has an opinion about something, right. And it's, everything's at some point, somebody's going to feel like they're, they're being wronged because somebody else's opinion differs from theirs. And so who's right and who's wrong and, and where do we draw that line? And that's why I don't like this whole, uh, let's ban trail cameras that again, you and I can not our thing, but who are we to say it can't be somebody else's thing? Same thing with shed hunting. I don't really get into shed hunting. Right. Not my thing. Don't care if somebody else goes out and does it, you know, well, and I, I, uh, think, I think you could important actually, principle. I think you could say things rather than that is, is, you know, that a trail cam is, you know, it's like, we have, we have rules for being, where we can shoot guns within a certain distance of this, of water holes and things like that. I mean, I think what we want to do is protect the activity around water holes. I think what we want to do is protect activity of the public so they don't feel like they're on a camera somewhere. I mean, there's mm-hmm. rules and regulations you can get to where you place trail cameras so that they're not so auspicious. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's the first thing that you do because I mean, if I, if I climb back, you know, up in a hill four miles and I put it on a pine tree on a trail because I think this is a saddle that they come through, you know, and, uh, you know, I think you have to visit them with so long. I don't think you should have them pegged inside a tree. I mean, you know, there's different things that that you can Mm -hmm. do to regulate so that it doesn't affect. And so that it's not where, you know, you have people stepping on other people and they're their ability to enjoy the public land. You know, I, I, yeah. that's all I think, man. And private land, yeah. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to fly. I don't know how you can. It's not going to fly. And I mean, for, I, I am a private landowner. I've got, I've got enough acreage that I, I, I feel like, and, and you guys already know, me in terms of how I, you know, let's just face it. I have an authority problem. No government <laughs> legislative asshole is going to tell me what I can have on my property. Kiss my bootocks. I'm putting my truck cameras wherever I want. Period. Yeah. That was yeah. my, that was my feeling when I saw that it was uh, a private land thing. Right. Cause that's, I'm looking at, I'm looking at becoming a uh, Jim Huntsman to a point and, uh, I'm like, you kidding me? Like, you're not going to tell me. You know what I mean? That's my acreage. Well, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, there's no you're way. Not, you're not quite ugly enough to be a Jim Huntsman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, sweetie. Are you flirting with me? <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> it was pretty fun last night. That was a, uh, that was a shit show of about an hour-long conversation, boy. If, if people only knew, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Look at I, yeah. I, I, I text the wife and I was like, hey, can you bring me another drink? And I said, <laughs> oh I said, goodness. vodka to here, Red Bull to here. <laughs> Look at that <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. Thank you, this is going to get unleashed real quick here. Mm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, we're yeah, going to get unruly. We're going to unruly. Keep it, we'll keep it right. We'll keep it right. So, you know, that we've been, we've been going for a minute here and I don't want to lose sight of why we got on. Right. So right. we, we jumped on and, and, uh, Jim and I are, are doing those collab eps uh, for, you know, the Western Huntsman. And we got a really, really good email. And Joe responded to it. I haven't sat down. I wanted to I, – I think it's valuable. And I gave Jim some guff because the last time we got an email, we didn't – we weren't able to address it. And so the mm-hmm. email is pretty lengthy. Um, but um, – Just by Norris? Yeah, this is, by, this is by Ed Morris. Yeah. Uh, but it's an excellent email and he hits some really good points. Right. And, and um, this stuff is hitting home with folks, man. And it's good to know, but I, you know, I, I was impressed with his email. So I want to talk about it and get on and just address some of the stuff he's talking about. Um, right. You know, and, and, and this is, this is a gentleman that, uh, you know, is in Kentucky. This isn't just a Western, a Western hunting type deal here. So yeah. Um, Jim, do you want to you want to read this? You want me to read it, or how do we want to do that? Uh, go for it, man. I don't I don't have it pulled up. I'm worried if I try to pull up anything else on any of these tabs, it's going to kick me off the internet. <laughs> okay. So first off, Ed, thank you for you know tuning into the podcast, be it uh, Elk Bros, the Western Huntsman, and Western Contours. Man, we appreciate it, and we absolutely appreciate your response to the episode. Um, so here we go, gentlemen. I listened with great interest to your recent podcast together regarding hunters and infighting. I have fought that battle for many years here in my home state of Kentucky, and I thought I would throw my two cents in. I follow all three of your podcasts, uh, having just recently found the Western Huntsman podcast. As Joe knows, I am an avid outdoorsman and hunt the Western states as well as numerous others. This year, I hunted Colorado, Montana, Indiana, and Maine for big game. I still have duck hunts lined up in Arkansas and Tennessee as we speak. Plus, our whitetail bow season in Kentucky runs through January 17th. Hopefully, I'll add another doe or two to the freezer before the year ends. I'll be 70 years old in April, and I have fought these same battles for the last 45 years. Hunters are typically their own worst enemies. They're the most apathetic group of individuals for the most part. They come together strongly and united when confronted with a threat to their passion, but 90% of their efforts are reactive when a big portion of their time needs to be proactive. When all is going well with no visible threats, hunters tend to just do their thing and not realize that groups such as PETA, HSUS, Brady, etc. never stop and are very well funded. It is only when a threat appears that they rally together and then they are way behind the ball. Hunters spend more time fighting amongst themselves, bow hunters versus crossbow hunters, trappers versus houndsmen, residents versus non-residents, etc., and do not realize that the Andes feast upon our dissension. They pick their battles wisely and prepare, while hunters are usually reactive and have sometimes already lost a battle before it begins. Colorado wolves, New Jersey bears, Michigan doves are all prime examples. Groups such as HSUS and PETA have certain legislatures in their pocket and have done extensive lobbying before the bills ever hit the floor. If not for groups such as Sportsman's Alliance, we would have lost many other battles. Even the major national hunting organizations such as RMEF, NDA, NWTF cannot seem to agree on political headings or even battle for each other. 
A loss on lion hunting in one state could soon lead to a loss in bear hunting in another state. Yet a lot of hunters will set back and just say, oh, that's their fight, not mine. In Kentucky, we have a group called the Kentucky League of Sportsmen, or excuse me, the League of Kentucky Sportsmen, founded in 1935 by concerned sportsmen. It is still strong today and represents sportsmen's groups from all passions from across the entire state. We monitor all legislation. We walk the halls of the legislature every day of every session. I, myself, as a former president of this group, have testified successfully before the legislature on opening our bear season, keeping dove hunting, and fighting dog bills that would have outlawed most of our sporting dogs afield. When the Sportsman's Alliance rep came to our state convention, he lauded how most, most states don't have a group that encompasses all passions, such as Kentucky does. Our group contains clubs representing fishing, deer hunting, hound hunting, bow hunters, quail, grouse, waterfall, <laughs> waterfowl, trap, skeet, etc. We sponsor numerous uh, youth events as well. I currently serve as the president of the third district of the league. My area is the Louisville and uh, adjoining seven counties, the largest metropolitan area in the state. We tend to be very proactive here so that we can stay ahead of the game, hopefully. I just hosted a holiday wild game party and invited all current and prospective legislatures to attend. Whether they hunt or not, we had a huge spread of outdoor game, an open bar, and had candidates from every office, from mayor to sheriff to the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House attend. Many had never tasted an elk brisket or moose chili, but they absolutely loved it. Our organization, as we explained to all the legislators present, is a 501c3 corp. So we cannot endorse a political party or candidate, but we can make sure our members know which legislatures are of similar mind as we are. With over 900,000 hunting and fishing licensed buyers in Kentucky, with a population of 4.2 million, we represent a very strong voting bloc, and we are not afraid to let them know. At our holiday get-together, many legislatures were astounded when I presented some of the facts to them. Hunting and fishing in Kentucky represents $5.9 billion in economic impact, supports 70,000 full-time and another 32,000 part-time jobs. It generates over $86 million in tax revenue annually, what they just consider to be some good old boys who like rabbit or squirrel hunt. Uh, quickly garnered their attention when the facts were presented to them regarding economics. I presented them an older report that was done by the Western Kentucky University that showed that 31% of all votes cast in the 2000 and 2004 presidential elections were from folks that had hunting or fishing rights. I actually had two of the candidates present ask me to email them all that data uh, when the meeting concluded as they had no idea of the voting power and economic impact. This is being proactive and getting ahead of the game, which more sportsmen need to embrace. We had a big turnout and the most of the night was spent just eating and talking. And believe me, all the politicians got an earful. Before the night was over, most were given their personal cell phone numbers and asking me to come to the Capitol during the next legislative session to meet with them. One gentleman running for our U.S. House even asked me to join his committee. You gentlemen have a huge audience and access and appeal. If you could present just one message, it would be for our hunters to get up off their asses, join the various groups, attend local and state meetings on every subject that affects our passion, and quit relying on the next guy to do their fight. 
I know guys like Randy Newberg espouse the same message for folks to get involved and not wait until the uh, until the next bill hits the legislative session, either local, state, or federal. Our U.S. senators and representatives of Kentucky know us very well, and we will cons- uh, constantly hit them with calls and emails regarding legislation, appointments to BLM, parks, etc., Keep up the good work, gentlemen. You do a fine job trying to instill some of the knowledge into folks that really don't understand the fight that we are in and in the continual machinations of our foes. Unfortunately, as a cartoonist, Walt Kelly once said, we have met the enemy and he is us. See you on the mountain. So yep. that's that's a mouthful, man. But that is <laughs> that is powerful, right? I mean, he this is a 45-year battle. In, in in his experience, right? In his experience. And and you got to think about that too. He's 70, right? Okay. So, you know, he was 25, you know, when when he actually and, and this again is the maturity of the person once they get set and something like that, that they start to get involved. We're doing our thing, we're in our own space. And then yeah, the the maturity we start to follow up and realize the effects things are having in our life. A 45 year battle for him. I wonder about, you know. Every generation says that, you know, that look how things have gone to crap. I mean, I've heard that boom, boom, boom. You can keep going back and back. There's always change and life is about change, but we can either be controlled by change or we can help to direct change. That's the difference in there. And that's where he's talking about instead of us as a group being reactive by being proactive in that sense. And, you know, I, I did respond back to him. And, you know, one thing that that I had told him was that my whole goal of being on this was to, to try to stop the divisiveness, not only between ourselves, but to help us and to have a little bit more, God, I, I, you know, uh, I'm trying to be real. uh, I'm, I'm an ambassador in about this and, and, but not to, you know, be so dumb that we create our own problem even more with, you know, by uh, alienating so so many people. We talked about this on the last one about non-meat eaters just because they have an alternative diet or because they're in a different political party. Because when we attack with a broad brush, you know, we we alienate people that have nothing to do that could actually be benefiting us. You know, I... <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, we were talking about vegans and we were talking about that and we, you know, and and there's a lot of jokes and a lot of stuff like that, you know, about about vegans, you know, from hunters on that side. But, you know, there's a lot of them inside the cities and you were talking about ethical vegans and dietary vegans, right? Well, I, I was, I actually had that conversation with an ethical vegan and that what they were saying is that really a lot of them. And especially that are in urban city environments, they just want to know where their food is coming from a lot of those times. And they actually want to limit what's happening with the footprint on the planet. And they they said that, you know, they don't have the ability in the cities to go and hunt. They don't have that kind of access. They do have access to fresh veg vegetables, organic vegetables and things like that. But they also realize that hunting has less of a impact on the planet than actually the growing of the vegetables do, you know, in some of that. So they, they realize even the ethicals that what we do is actually more beneficial to the planet in the way that we do this. So I, I think when we throw that broad 
brush and we throw those people under and we consider them anti-hunting, you know, especially when, and this was so cool when I talked to Ed about this, you know, was that, you know, when we say that this is a Democrat Republican thing. And the first thing he said is that he realizes that avid sportsmen and women do not vote party line, but rather the candidates that support their outdoor passion. And that's one thing that he said is that, you know, 10% of the population is avid hunting. 10% is avid anti-hunting, 80% in the middle. And we have to be the ones that present ourselves. We don't, this is not a political party thing. This is a lifestyle. This is something that we have to present ourselves as a community to those people in a better way that, you know, that does not hurt us, that does not alienate, that does not divide. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge piece that he gave in there because, you know, if, if we're not proactive, we are behind the eight ball. We are then just reacting. And then we're, you know, trying to fight the bear hunt in Washington. We're trying to fight the trapping in New Mexico. We're trying to fight, you know, fight the, the, you know, what's happening with the ability to hunt bears in California, you know, all of that. And it's, it's state to state to state. Mm-hmm. Let's see you, Jimbo. <laughs> I mean, Joe just said it. I, he said it all. Um, uh, I, I think that <clears throat> I, I, I am burnt out with politics and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm like burnt out with, with Republican Democrat and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, what, how, how people have turned the p- politic thing into like an identity, right? Where it's, it's not. It's it's not your identity. Absolutely. Like there, there was a time where nobody cared. Nobody cared if you're a Republican or a Democrat. We'd have little debates, and that was it. Uh, there, not to say that it, it hasn't always been. There's been an ugly side to it because that's that's just that would be you know untruthful. But um, I I'm tired of politics bleeding into every aspect of my life, and and that's I think where where I'm at and where I'm in agreement with Joe. Uh, it, where, where it's just, are we going to let, are we going to let, so politics bled into a pandemic that bled into a shot that you could take. Right. And it's turned everything so ugly. Are we going to let that happen on, in, in, into hunting? Politics bleeds into people's sexuality to movies that they watch to how people identify, uh, with, with social issues. One social issue can turn somebody onto one political party. They don't care about anything else, but one little social issue issue could make somebody vote a, a, an entirely different way. And, and and that's that's what I'm concerned about. Are we going to let that happen to to hunting? Are are we going to allow politics to to worm its greasy, slimy, ugly face into hunting? Because hunting is a is a lifestyle. The only time it should bump up against politics is when we are talking about some kind of legislative change um, that is backed through science, through a commission, and that's where it should bump into politics, not ever everything else that we talk about. It's just a – I get so fired up about this, I lose my train of thought. So, and that's kind yeah, of – Okay, but – okay, so so politic and aside, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if, we, if we throw the politics out, and I think we have to do that and address that first, right? Because politics aside – 
the thing that needs to be addressed and he and he talks about it is is our divide as hunters because as right. long as that yeah. is there politics or not right as long as that is there we are at a loss when it comes to the unified front of the antis and i'm not going to talk about that that 80 percent in the middle that's mm-hmm. not that, that's not our fight. That's the people we got to win to a point. But that's not really our fight because they could care less. Some of them are oblivious to the fact that we even exist anymore. Right. But we have to put our divides down and get rid of those divides the best we can. And I'm not saying you have to agree with every opinion outside of the fact that, hey, an ethical, responsible sportsman or woman deserves my backing. Period. Method of mm-hmm. take, color of camo, whether you're a desert hunter, whether you're a mountain hunter, where you're, you know, on the plains of South frickin' Dakota, that person that is is backing my lifestyle by a display in their lifestyle, that person deserves my support. And if we don't get rid of that, that I think is where the politic part starts coming in. Now, if we're fighting that on a unified front and we get rid of that divide, just, and I got to say this real quick, they, Kentucky, the league of Kentucky sportsmen has a template. The template is already laid out. There's success in that email. If you go to that website and I started scrolling through it, um, there's success. They are a success. They are keeping their privileges, rights, however you look at them, alive through this. So the template's there because they put down the divide, they unified no matter what method to take, right? And here is the template for us to get through this. Politics, who cares, right? We can we – can, Give the bird, right, or, or teach, you know, Jim little word or Joe little words to, you know, so he can cuss, um, <laughs> you know, and, and not deal with what, you know, he would call ish heads. <laughs> um, but we have to get we have to address our divide as sportsmen and women. And 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 that's that's a particular divide that is peculiar to me. As I said that, it made me think of it. Just think about it. One of the fastest growing demographics in hunting is women. There are still men that think that there is a problem with women getting out on the mountain or the woods and hunting. I saw a post earlier this week and actually it was a good bill post, a good bull outdoor post, Lauren and Allie Shrag posted something and a gentleman responded and was like, why are they even out there basically? Right. Think about that. See, see, and and when when you talk about us supporting each other, and I think that's the biggest thing is, look, if it's not your thing, if it's not your dig, why do you have to attack it? You know, it, you don't, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't have to support it. You don't have to go. Well, I agree, and I'm happy. And I mean, if you're not, and you don't like it. Well, it's not your thing. It's not your passion. But you don't have to be, you know, throwing negative bait out there. You don't have to throw, um, you know, stuff out there. It makes it easy for throw others. Shade. Yes, man. You, you don't have to do that. And I think where people get confused too is, is that 
you know, like you said, take the politics out of it. And, and the reason I come back to politics all the time in this is because people haven't done that. And, and, and I really make sure, yeah, we have to delve. It's part of the tool as far as, like you said, Jim, about the legislative part. We have to delve in that in the legislature. But that doesn't mean we have to make it a Democratic versus Republican thing. We have to make it a support of our outdoor life thing, whoever you are in whatever seat you're sitting in. Because, guys, if we allow ourselves to let this become a Democrat, Republican thing, one or the other, then you're going to lose. Somebody's going to lose every, you know, every four years, every eight years. But, Joe, right? we're, we're not even we're not even. For the lack of a better word, we're not even that smart about it. We're we're arguing yeah. about whether it's a muzzle loader or a bow or a crossbow. I hear you. You man. know what I mean? We're not even that smart yeah. to get into the politics. The politics. There's, there's of a it. lot of there's that little things distract from the big picture. Yes. It's, yeah. It's exactly. Crazy. And and it, it reminds me, you know, like 22 years or so before the Civil War ever broke out, Abraham Lincoln was sitting there talking about. Um, that, you know, at what point should we expect the approach of danger and at, at what what means do we fortify against it? And uh, in his mind, all the armies of Asia and Europe and Africa combined could not come and take a drink from the Ohio River by force. And as a, ma- a nation of free men, we must live by all time or die by suicide. And and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but what what he's talking let, about? Let Joe is, Joe probably in, can it, quote it directly since he was probably there. Yeah, he was there. He was most likely there. I was there, and um, <laughs> he got his autograph. <laughs> but but what old Abe was talking about there? And if you if you read the entire quote and the entire the the paper they wrote, what what he's he's talking about that on a much larger scale, on like a macro scale. We're talking on a micro scale. Scale. We're just we're hunters, right? But he's talking um, that that his foresight and and the way he sees this thing going down is there is so much infighting with our in our own country. Um, it is not going to take an outside element or an outside country that takes us down. We're going to be our own worst enemy and we're going to divide and take each other down. Hence the civil war 22 years later that caused three quarters of a million people that lost their lives. And, and so when you're, when you look at it through that kind of lens, that, that really tells us where we're at and how do we stop it? Because that's what I'm worried about. Can we stop this? I don't know that we can. Can we slow it down? Maybe Um, people are so, caught up in their own self-absorbed interests that it it is necessary for them to rip other people apart. And, and if, if we keep going down this path and we don't heed the advice from somebody like Ed here from Kentucky, which by the, by the way, thanks Ed for the tip on the uh, Kentucky elk hunt. And I'm uh, looking into that right now. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, if if we don't heed the advice of somebody like that, we don't wake up to to the, the, we're going to wake up basically all of us, and and we're and one time we're going to look back and, and and we're going to be telling our grandkids uh, that there was a time when I can go down to the local Walmart and buy a deer tag and go out and shoot a deer during hunting season, um, and, and it's going to be no more. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how else to explain it. And we're fat, but it's on the fast track right now, right? It, it's fast track. Technology has fast tracked all of this. 
It has. Right. I, I mean, if it you, has, but, but, but what do we do about it? Technology is already here. You know, the social media sites are here. Then we, They're, then um, I'm going to go back to what I said. Then we got to wake the F up. Right. And we got to lay down the BS mm -hmm. and we have to follow this template, follow the league of Kentucky sportsmen and come together. Right. And lay the BS down. So we, so we're, it's not a story about going down to Walmart and getting that tag. So something about Kentucky uh, sportsmen and something that they did. And look, I, I don't, there's always going to be a level of among people, among what we do. There's always going to be people that are going to be talking about what they like, what they don't like, disagreeing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we're in that social media thing where everybody's trying to get likes, right? So they're, they're saying, you know, giving their opinion, my opinion, my opinion, but where it counts is in your leadership, where it counts is that unity on a united front. And it doesn't have to be everybody, everybody has to, we are all involved by buying our license or contributing to this or supporting a certain organization so that they can get things done for us. Um, that's what we need to do is we need to get those people. And you know, any organization, there's a very small percent of that organization that really does a lot of the work, right? That are up there on top. that are fighting the fight, fighting the battles. We just got to put those right-minded people in there because I don't know if people know what happened in Kentucky, but what they did was um, they had a ballot issue three years ago, Section 255A of the Kentucky Constitution that now reads, they got this passed. I, I, before I read it to you, I want you to understand that they got this passed um, at the ballot box with a resounding 84% of the vote that was an effort by both major parties that got this passed. And it reads... The citizens of Kentucky have the personal right to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife using traditional methods subject only to statutes enacted by the legislature and to administrative regulations adopted by the designated state agency to promote. So basically, they have it in their Kentucky Constitution that it is a personal right of every citizen to be able to hunt, fish, and harvest wildlife. Got this passed by 84% of the vote in that state with both parties pushing it. You know, how many states can say that they have a constitutional <laughs> a, a section that says that? You know, um, that's oh, Idaho does. Idaho does. Do they? Oh, yeah. That's awesome, man. I don't know that we have that in our state, you know, so. I, I actually looked that up once. I'd have to, I'd have to look, look at that again, but there, I was surprised how many states actually do have that. Really? Uh, because I, I was, I was surprised, but uh, there are, there are, uh, and ma mainly in the Western states, um, but th see, those exist, but I, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the point that you're making with the way that the uh, Kentucky sportsmen went to that, uh, in a bipartisan way and got an 84% approval to get that piece of the legislation passed because they made, they made the case, they made it non-political, got, got the job done. Now they've got it protected in their constitution that, that it cannot, that cannot be taken away from them. Right. And I think what's cool, too, is a lot of these states have have it in their constitution that the only ones that could make those regulations for what happens with wildlife is that designated agency. It's not something that mm -hmm. 
can be affected by emotional vote that happens in the legislature. So uh, that's huge as well. I mean, uh, man, I mean, anybody can bring a bill. And, you know, if you're not staying on it, 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 it's crazy what can happen, you know, at the legislature with some of these uh, bills that that come out without our knowledge, man. Well, to to Ed's point, right, to Ed's point, Mm -hmm. because there's no there's no pro proactive or preemptive strikes on our part. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we're we're setting back and then it's like, oh, shit, they're in the middle of this, you know, Um one of the most impressive things that I've seen, and 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 I was I was proud of us, uh, was the Senator Weiner thing here in California with the Bears last year. You know, this right. was like, I mean, it was an, a, a nationwide effort, and to see everyone rally and come together and just block. Well, it's California, right? But this is this is going to be a every state thing, um, and that get stopped for the moment, right? The moment is what we need at this point, right? Especially on these defensive, um, when we're, when we're in a defensive position. Um, but it was impressive to see that. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, again, it's the react um, state though, right? Oh man. And that's the problem. Now, and you take that back. But there's 22 states that, that have far, constitutional right? right to vote or right, right to vote. Hunt. Yeah. Did I lose you guys? Yeah, we lost you. You had 22 uh, states that have the right this, to hunt. Constitutional right. California has the right to fish. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the, go on, yeah. mountain lion. You're you're fine here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but but to that though, think about think about that because when you think about the process, even take the, what happened with bears in California, right? Had there been people on those committees that had knowledge of or uh, were supportive of the hunting lifestyle that never felt, you know, they didn't feel alienated, that felt like that they are supporting a basis. Recording in progress. You know, if if that would have been in there, it it might not have gone that far, right? You know, uh, it, it would have been people that have said, you know, what does our state agency say with this? What what yeah. is the science behind this? They I mean, that should be. They, I mean, look at look at that across the board, right? There's there's how do I say this without? I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I mean, hey, you look at wolves in Colorado, right? And you look at here. There there's there are these people that are in the pocket, right? They're in the pocket. I mean, what is what is PETA doing across the nation, right? Um, they don't care about the biology. They don't care about the impact to a herd, right? It's about pushing an agenda and that's what we're up against, you know? And how do you, I guess the big question is, is how do you fight that? But I think we, again, I'm going to go back to it, right? Cause I think it's, that's where it needs to begin is we address our divides. Well, yeah. And, and you, you, you talked about that, that happened in Colorado and, that's a very intelligent attack because 
what you do is you end up creating more divisiveness now between rural and urban because you get the urban span that doesn't understand what's happening on the rural side of it. And you get them to help pass this ballot. And now instead of people being angry at the people they need to, it, it creates another divide and division within their state. So where instead of me trying to educate those people that voted for that, I attack those people. Now I create a more defensive stance from them to me. I start calling them names because it's got to be that that such and such group within that urban that, you know, they, they, if they came out to my place, they wouldn't be able to even survive. They don't know what they're talking about instead of being proactive about it. And I'm telling you, it's a very intelligent, manipulative attack that creates Mm -hmm. more of a division that, you know, all you have to do is throw a few of those out there, uh, uh, you know, some of those arguments and some of those angers and nurture that. And man, divide and conquer is a whole lot easier. I don't know. I I think I think that there's a hypersensitivity to that and and I think that there is yeah, you've always got, you've always got that. I always call it the 10%. You've always got the 10%, right. That, that makes the rest of the group look bad. And, and I've talked about this a lot on my show. Um, my, my first Sergeant in the Marine Corps, he called it the nasty 10% that always shine a bad light on the rest of the Marines. Uh, you know, you, you've always got that, but I, it, it, the, the human nature is, has always been self-absorbed and, and, and people, there's always been ego. There's always been all these things that you're talking about. Um, I do think that social media kind of, um, magnifies that. And, 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 and there are people out there that don't do it for the right reasons and do, um, want to take a grip and grin just to, you know, have a, have some kind of social media presence or whatever. I don't, I don't get that. I I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why that's even a thing. Uh, but I think, you know, for, for when we're talking about like you guy and me and Joe and, and people that have been doing this our entire lives, the importance of what it is and what that animal means to us, uh, that grip and grin translates into something completely different for us than somebody who's just doing it for the picture. Um, and, and so I, I think that it, it really, when, when you ask a question like that, we have to be careful about putting everybody into the same bag and the same category uh, because the, the, the importance level is going to be different for every hunter. Um, and you know, I, I could tell you that the, I, I snapped a grip and grin for my cousin this year. Uh, he got his first buck. So that grip and grin to him personally and how important that was to him, this was not a huge buck. This is just a little two, two or three point. I can't remember what it was. Not a huge buck, he was, but it was his first buck. So that grip and grin to him and the, and the importance was very high without any ego in it. And so I, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but I... Oh. There's been a lot of talk about this whole grip and grin and social media and posting animals lately. And, you know, that blood origins uh, discussion with uh, with Matt Ranilla, you know, caused quite a store. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of that. It is a, it, it, it creates a lot of stir. And, and I think a lot of it's just misguided and misdirected. Yeah, well. Well, OK, so you, you can't we can't separate the 10 percent. Because the antis don't separate the 10%. The people that are against us don't separate the 10%. No. You're right. You're right. Right? But but, but when I see a picture, when I see a picture, I'm sorry, Joe. That's all right. When I see a picture of, of, 
of Joe in the woods with an elk. I go, damn, that's a great bull, Joe. Joe, 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 right? Joe's getting the pat on the back 90% of the time, right? If if Mr. Huntsman posts a picture of his girls, right? It, hey, Jim, it's great that you're getting your girls out there. But what? But it, it's the lack of mention of the animal itself is my point, I guess. Is there too much attention on, on us? Well, I mean, that's, again, we talk about we live in a trophy society. We always have. I mean, since the beginning of time, I mean, look at petroglyphs. Um, man has always celebrated uh, their memory of you know, what that challenge was and to be able to do that, you know, it, it was, it was a rite of passage to be able to do things like that. It was a way of proving your internal abilities. And, and that's still in our DNA, man. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, wearing feathers, wearing elk teeth. I mean, I, I have one on right now, you know, that that's my memory. That that's something that, um, I keep that animal with me and I celebrate everybody does it in a different way. Again, we can judge why I think again, the maturity thing, you know, um, where, you know, the, the we, all we can do is continue to educate how to honor that animal and honor that hunt. I think the reason we are where we are is because there are a lack of mentors out there. It used to be that, you know, you learn from your dad and your dad's dad, and it was passed around from passed down from generation to generation. I was that young man that wanted to be like my grandpa who was spouting that wisdom to me and was telling me I didn't, I never needed game and fish because my grandpa was the doggone warden, man. If you did something out of line, you know, he was going to let you know it. He's going to let you have it. Right. Whereas today, a lot of people, because there is not that multi-generational because of the lack of opportunity, but because that you're not able to have those family camps again, because that, that we're losing those, we end up losing those mentors. So those people are out there doing this and who are their mentors? Well, their mentors are social media. Their mentors are YouTube. Their mentor is the person down the street that came in and showed them, yeah, look at what I did. I mean, that that's their mentors, you know, and, and until they get that maturity and they hear people saying and talking about honor and talking about respect and, and that's starting to seep in a little bit, you know that's why we have people do that. I mean, look at all the, you know, all my buddies in Rednecks, like used to, you know, strap a, a dog on animal across a truck and go drive through town to, to celebrate like that, you know, and until we start to realize, man, when you do that, the meat tastes nasty, man, that's not too smart. <laughs> you, right. You cook the back straps on the hood. I did that oh, before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? And, and even still, I mean, when we, when we do a, a, a strap, when we do a strap photo, you know, how proud we are of that piece of meat on there. That's kind of almost uh predator movie ish, you know, when you think about it, but uh, yeah. it, it just, you know, everybody can look at that. And I think where we have to do is we have to continue and, and do what we're doing now is talk about it. Educate those people that are listening to us. Get them to understand that it's not a disrespect. It's a celebration. It's not a celebration of, of 
that animal and, and blood going everywhere, you know, but yet it's, it gets confusing to them because when we talk about a shot, we're like, man, we want a broadhead that's putting blood everywhere, right? You know, we don't want something that is not doing it because to us, you know, to have that hit, to have that blood ensures a recovery. But are we teaching that? Or are we mm-hmm. just saying that it's about the blood? It's about seeing the blood go everywhere. I mean, I've seen things, dude. I've seen things on YouTube videos and stuff that honestly, God, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's borderline psychological at times, man. I mean, uh, so uh, it's important for us to show the other side. We have to be the lead. We have to be the example. We have to be the ones that those people are disgusted by what they're seeing hear and see that and go, okay, that makes sense. I get it. I can support that. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that, totally agree. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that would mean pull in, in my head. That means pulling some of the highlighting the human aspect or the ability to have the. And maybe I'm not coming across the right way. Right. The it's great. The I'm, I'm not opposed to a gripping grin. Right. I take one every freaking time. I don't care how big or small or, you know, antlerless it is. Um, but I, I feel like it's highlighting the wrong thing or it's a, like you said, Joe, the, the, the mentors, the people that, that are, that are doing the talking that are showing it, aren't voicing the importance and I, I'm broad stroking. Please don't say every, you know, right. don't, I'm just generalizing. Um, aren't doing it enough, right? It, it's, it's, there's a story about how many days it took me and this is what I did. And this is how I did it. And this is what I worked to do and blah, 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 blah. And less about the animal, I guess, is my point. Maybe I didn't come off right um, when I was saying that. But, Jim, you said something, and you said hunters like us, right? And, and, and I'm bringing that up just to say that that's a divide, right? Just by saying hunters like us that have been doing it for X amount of time. For me, I didn't start hunting until my early 20s. One, I was too poor. I grew up in L.A., right? But it was mm-hmm. something I was always enamored with, and I figured out how to do it when I had the means to do it. But even there, there's a divide. And I've found that there is a substantial number of generational hunters that take it for granted that they have the ability to go and get out, whereas there's a huge number of new hunters that it has such, I mean, look at me, it has such an impact on my life and how I view life and the circle of life and the importance and the increased respect for all life that hunting brought into my heart, right? And I brought that into my family and increased my family through hunting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think when we say things like, new hunters, right? There's a divide there. And it's funny, as you said it, I was like, bam, he just did it, right? And we don't even realize that we do it, you know? And it's a very interesting thing on how we view it. And, you know, women hunters, and and yes, there's, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna say things and we're gonna, you know, have some specificity to what we're saying. But at the same time, it's like, those are, those are lines in the sand. And, and. Well, I think, I think, 
I, I don't know that that's right. I don't know that that, that that's a line in the sand. It's it's what, what what I'm talking about. It's okay to categorize. Like I'm a generational hunter. I was I was raised hunting. Uh, you're adult onset hunter. Um, Joe's been hunting fucking, since. You know, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. I was. Um, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> no, but you guys. I hate that adult onset bullshit, bro. I, I, do, I, do I too. hate that. There's no maturity, man. I mean, you got your green. Yeah. Home. Got your vets. You got. I mean, yeah, you know, absolutely. there's levels of it's, it's all. I, and I want but to be not careful about them. about how what what we classify as the divide versus just classifying like a category uh, a category of hunter. It's not offensive uh, to 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 mention that because the experience for a for a category of, of a hunter like me is okay. But but the, the the versus the experience of somebody that got into it in their 30s or 40s or or a hunter that is categorized as a traditional because he, he only does trad bow. So right. it's okay to have these categories as long as we're not ripping each other apart over them. And, and I think that that's, that's, that's an important, you know, part of that. Plus um, you drink white claw. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody oh likes God, a white I, claw. Nobody likes a white claw drinker. You know what's what's funny about Jim is he always tries to take is take the stuff that's on his back <laughs> and put it on mine. <laughs> you, you can't transfer. You, you can't transfer ownership, bro. To your point, though, too is is I want you to understand something. Is until three years ago, I had no idea that any of this, any of y'all any of other people's opinions, any organizations. Um, you know, I had heard of the Rocky Mountain Elk Federation because a buddy of mine was in it, you know. Foundation. I, I had, I'm sorry, foundation. Um, my, That's how new and, it is to him. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, because there was guys that I knew that related to that because where I live and what I do and within my realm and I was always in the woods and I never did. I don't have cable TV. I don't have dish network. I didn't do any of the social media. So all of this is just a fart in the wind, man, to so many hunters out there because they're doing their thing out in the woods. And, you know, uh, I think that is one of the reasons that, you know, trying to get these conversations going and, and to do some of those things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that just are not aware. That's why I'm saying is the ones that do, we have to get that right leadership and we got to get those people in those hallways. We got to get that organized and we all have to continue to get people to contribute their money in one form or fashion to what we do so that we can promote and propagate our lifestyle out there. You know? So, I mean, it, it would be great you know, I mean, we can say we can say all these things about category, you know, categories and unity and all this stuff. But there are some people out there that they're doing their thing in their world and they could care less about all of this. Right. Until it affects them. Until oh, you're exactly them. right. Right. Yeah, I, I thought I was thinking about exactly what you just said, Joe. I uh, guys, I might have to jump off here pretty quick. OK. Uh, but anyway, I want to I want to finish that point with what you just said, because it's a great point. I was exactly the same way. I, I didn't know that there was this big hunting industry uh, until social media. I didn't know that there was a hunting community outside of, you know, my family that we, we'd go out and hunt. And I think that there's, there's, there's uh, like anything, there's pros and cons to it, but we, all of a sudden the social media thing comes around and all these different hunters come together and it's like this explosion, like, you know, the big bang theory or something. Boom. Uh, these guys do it that way. They do it this way. Well, that's not how we do it. And, and, and they're, 
we're focusing a lot on these cons, um, but there is a pro side to it where we can now get our, our heads together. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here in North Idaho talking to my buddy in California and my other buddy in New Mexico having a conversation about all these differences and how we're going we're gonna to smooth this divide over. So this big bang theory or this explosion of butting heads and, and different disagreements that happened because of social media, there's a way we could smooth this out and, and create a better future for all hunters uh, just by having this information out there and realizing that it, it, we don't have to all be the same. We don't have to all shoot the same broadhead. Head. Uh, we just have to understand we have the same end game and, and uh, that we're hunters and we're a family and we're the family against the family that is trying to do away with hunting. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. Well said. Guys, I, I, I do. I hate to cut it short, man. Uh, I've got an issue going on out on the fifth wheel. I need to go address. All right. Bye. I, 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 it's going to take me a while. You guys better wrap it up. Yeah, we're getting ready to wrap uh, we, up. We're ready to get that. Yeah. I, I apologize. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on tonight. And, uh, we'll, uh, text me later and we'll, we'll talk about it. Go do some yes, more, Tim. Thank Come you. on, man. We'll see you, brother. <laughs> I know. All right. See you guys. All right. Later. So I, I don't know that, you know, what Jim was saying is perfect. Right. And, and I don't know that. I don't think we were saying anything negative about social media. I think it's all about our focus and where we're putting our energy mm -hmm. is, is where I think it, uh, it starts to fall down. <laughs> Cause I, man, I'm telling you, I didn't for, for years, man, I would have been hunting elk forever ago. Right. I didn't, you know, me being what, what, you know, Jim classified as an, I hate that damn term too, adult onset hunter. Um, <laughs> I didn't know, you know what I mean? I didn't know that I could go out of state and, and, you know, it was like, I'm hunting here. That was enough for me. I, I never knew I could. I mean, I always thought that stuff was stories and, and outdoor life, you know, and Howard and, and high dollar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. my first bow cost me, I think I got my bow. I think I had eight arrows, broadheads, and they were a mixed bag and the release off of eBay for $230. My first bow came off the shelf. It was a PSE Nova for $104. And yeah, and that was a lot to me, you know, at my income level. So, uh, and, but it killed animals, you know, it got the job done. Uh, you know, it, so yeah. I mean, there has been a lot of change. And I, I, I think a lot of that though, guy is like, you know, we, we were just talking the other night, you know, me and my family, how, when we were in high school, you know, every guy had a pocket knife in their pocket or, you know, in your truck, there was all, you know, I, I don't think this happened in LA, but where I was in Moyoc, North Carolina, you know, everybody had a, a gun in the, in the back windshield of their truck, you know, um, you know, my family, we always had guns on a gun rack in the wall. They were always loaded, but everybody in that house understood everything about weapons. You know, we're not in that society anymore. And, and we're in a society where, you know, it's gotten a lot smaller and we see the negative things and there's so much destruction happening in this world. And so it's easy to, to peg and tie everything together. And then, you know, we let this, um, Yes, there are things about the Second Amendment that involve um, uh, what we do, you know, but that is a 
that is a political process that's happening. We let that feed into everything that we're doing and create, again, divide with stuff like that. So, you know, we have to be so careful about, you know, uh, letting people try to pull us in as to be on one side or the other about us you know, listening to that stuff and dividing amongst each other because of uh, political philosophy or because of what one person thinks is um, culturally right in the way that they hunt. And and that that's the whole big thing. Isn't that what it's about, man? I mean, we've gotten so small that, you know, well, we've never, and what I mean by small is the world's gotten smaller. You know, this thing, this thing called a cell phone has made the world incredibly small, you know? It's it's unbelievable. So now we hear other opinions. We hear other people's thoughts. And, you know, um, you know, I, I, I know of people that do food plots. Right. They do food plots to be able to bring animals in. I got a great buddy that they use feeders down in South Texas. I know people that bait bears when they do that. I know people that run uh, hounds to be able to get mountain lions. I have all these people that I know that do these different things that I don't do. But that's because that's, I wasn't raised doing that. It's not something I, I was doing something else. Is what they do wrong? No. I mean, you know, take, take, I'm going I'm to take that whole thing of a feeder to a food plot to what I do. What do I do whenever I'm looking for elk? I know that they need food, they need water, they need cover. So I'm going and looking for that food plot out there. Now, it might be a wild food plot, but I'm definitely looking for a food plot, right? So I'm looking for what's attracting them, you know, and I, it's no different. It's just a different name as, and it's a different process in how I did it. I didn't, I didn't spend all this incredible time and sweat doing it that a lot of people put into that, you know, there's a lot of people put a lot of work into their passion, man. So uh, who am I to say what is right and what is wrong, especially if that is legal, it's cultural. It's the way that they do that and the way they've always done it. man. so. So Aaron Snyder, right? Uh -huh. He, Akuhu. that guy's Aru. a beast, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean that that guy is a, is a straight killer, and and there's 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 things that are very impressive about Aaron. And one of the things, and and I haven't really been listening to Kafaru Cast and him for for terribly long, maybe three or four months now. Mm -hmm. um, so I went back and I found other podcasts, and one of the things that that I think we can all learn from is is when he made the switch from compound to trad, and why he did that. And he's, you know, he's catching, you know, grief for shooting a hundred plus yards mm -hmm. from trad guys. So he says, you know what, instead of being oppositional to this, I'm going to lay what I think down. I'm going to go and chase this trad thing and look at him now. Right. I mean, that, that is a huge example of where we should be and, and good up, you know, good on you, Aaron, for that. Um, that's a hell of an example of where we should be as sportsmen, right? If a guy is willing to say, I'm going to lay my shit down and I'm going to go after this and see to prove the point to himself and everyone else, right? And he got his ass kicked doing it, but look where he is now with that damn bow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's impressive, dude. And I think that is the kind of leadership or mentorship or goals that we need to set for ourselves when, we, when we're looking at these divides and we're slamming, you know, whatever it is. Go give it a try. You know, or, or if you can't go give it a try, then look at it from their perspective at the very least 
to get rid of or address the division that we have so we can come together and follow, and, and just saying it again, follow the template, because this was about Ed Morris's email, follow the template of the Kentucky sportsman and figure out how we come together. And I think things like that, actions like that, speak volume to the success that you can have. Absolutely. If, if you're willing to do it and you're open-minded and understand that, hey, we're, we're one, it sounds kumbaya is all get up to some folks, right? right. But it's so very necessary, whether you've been doing it for, you know, 40 years, 45 years, 60 years, or three years for that matter. Right. Well, that, and to my point that I was making now, you know, when we talk about like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, they can, they are not a lobby group. Um, that, that's not their role. And by law, they're not able to do that. But, you know, we have like the Sportsman's Alliance. We have some of the, the National Wildlife Federations that are out there. I don't agree with everything that our federation does in our state, but that doesn't mean that you don't support because they do a lot of good. I might not agree with everything, but then that's my role. If I don't agree, then attend, then talk, then communicate, you know, have that, lay down the facts. I mean, so we have to help each other out with that. We just don't go, oh, well, they did this, so I'm done with it. They're not getting any of my money. And we act like little kid that takes the ball and goes home, right? You know, uh, no, I mean, you, you take a look at, you know, at Ed that's doing this, Ed's 70 years old. He's been doing this for some quite time. He understands the process. He absolutely is comfortable in his skin and he's comfortable in his state and what he's doing. You know, it's just like you were talking about Aaron, man. You talk about somebody that's comfortable in his skin, right? You know, um, and, and he's come to a, a point in maturity where he's at, you know, for that. And so he's able to, you know, to say, yeah, I can do this and, you know, screw everybody else who says this and I can go out and get it done this way. And, and, and I'll do that. You know, he's, there's not a lot of people, there's a lot of people that aren't at that point yet in their maturity. So what we have to do is we have to continue to communicate with those people that are continue, continue to the mentor, the people that aren't there yet. And we've got to roll this and we've got to follow this template that Ed has, um, Talk to our organizations, make sure that we're supporting those organizations. Because, I mean, even like you take Sportsman's Alliance, you know, Sportsman's Alliance is doing something good overall, trying to make us aware and lobby in different places. But we need to branch that out within our states. We need to have those people that are walking those hallways in there that are, you know, I mean, you, you looked at what they did. I don't know if you caught that in Ed's letter, but he said at our Christmas gatherings, you know, he got a chance to talk to some people. So their organization actually invited, you know, members of the legislature to their Christmas gathering, you know, so they could be there. So, they could, you know, that that's when communication happens. It doesn't happen during legislative sessions, man, when these people are getting bombarded with phone calls and people on lobbies. It doesn't happen then. It happens out there in, in the field, it happens out the, at gatherings, it, and it happens in places where you're making them feel comfortable and not um, making them defensive. So, yeah, that, it's, it's a great template, and it's something that the, you know, every state needs to think about, and those people within the state, that you do not agree with the things that are happening legislatively in your state, get involved, attend be part of. You don't have to agree with everything. That's part of being a democratic country, but you can always 
help present. You can help, you know, um, mentor, understand. And just by being involved with other people, it makes your organization stronger. Because if you continue it just to be a small group, then it's only going to be so much infusion of ideas within that group. Right. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. This uh, letter we got from Ed was incredible. Um, I've known Ed for a little while. He supported us all the time. And, you know, uh, he's got his heart in his head and his dollars in the right place. In the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to Ed. We'll get a we'll get an episode. We'll call it the template. Right. Because I think it's it, it's important to hear it from him and, and really look at the structure and how they started. And uh you know, the growth, et cetera, et cetera, and put that out there and maybe push the effort, you know, across the board. Man. I mean, that, that'd be huge, you know? Absolutely. Totally agree with you, man. Well, shoot, brother. Let's, uh, let's call it a wrap. Yeah, you Since bet. old Jimbo had to get off. I appreciate it, man. It's always, you know, it's always good when we get on and start going. We had some, uh, some fun conversation there in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like you said, this is a hunting podcast. Um, and you know, what we did was actually what we brought up at the very beginning and this feeds into exactly what we're talking about, exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, um, with all those things that are coming down, you know, when I look at what's happening in Colorado with OTC, immediately I go, dang it, man, they're affecting the area. I want to hunt OTC in. Well, is it all about me? And what's the big picture? You know, of course, I want to hunt. I want to go out and hunt elk. And uh, I think that that's important to me and in my life. But I have to I have to look at the big picture, man. Um, and I think all of us do. And maybe if we can do that, maybe these opportunities, instead of disappearing, start to get a little bit better for us. Start opening up. Yes, sir. All right, my brother. You have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. And uh, right. we'll talk to you soon. Man. You bet. Peace, Thanks. peace, bud.